0: Hello and welcome back to the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. We're rapidly coming to the end of another season on the Everyday Christian Podcast. We've just got a few more episodes and we've been talking about doctrine all season long uh, and uh, we've covered several different bases, so to speak, uh, pertaining to doctrine. We, We haven't had time to cover everything, but we're trying to cover as much as we can, and so I hope that you'll bear with us on that. But We've got Avery Hackney with us for the uh, podcast this next few weeks, and uh, I'll go ahead and let Avery introduce himself.
1: Hello. Um, Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm very glad to be able to do this, and uh, for those of you who may not know me, I am a minister of the Church of Christ in Arnold, Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. We're about Uh, 20-30 minutes outside of the city. Um, I went to school with Chase at the Memphis School of Preaching. We've been up here for the last five years or so, and so uh, we appreciate uh, Chase and the the work that he's been doing, and uh, we hope that he continues that, and we just are glad to be a part of it today.
0: Appreciate you, Avery, and uh, we've always been good friends. Uh, He was a a year ahead of me at uh, Memphis, and we've kept in touch uh, ever since, and Uh, Avery's been on the podcast before, uh, a couple seasons back. We talked about mission work and had some very interesting uh, discussions there. But uh, he's going to be with us for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about morality uh, this week, and and probably we'll split that into next week as well. And then we're also going to talk about the church with uh, Avery as well. So uh, we're talking about the uh, subject of morality, Avery. And I think that this is a, a very, very big topic. Uh, wouldn't you say that? Are you you up for this discussion?
1: <clears throat> hey, man, this is uh this is the biggest topic, uh, right? Right now, so uh, yeah, I'm definitely up for the discussion. It's just a matter of if, if we can fit it all in one uh, one podcast or, oh, or yeah, two. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're gonna have to do our best. Uh, we're not gonna be able to cover everything. You know, I've tried to cover a lot of doctrinal points this season on the podcast and it's really impossible to to do it in just 20 something uh, episodes but we're just going to kind of give it a you know our best uh, stab at it and just cover a lot of bases that we can but uh, i would say that morality has definitely gone down the drain uh, in our nation at least and Mm -hmm. you kind of alluded to that that's kind of the big discussion right now it's all over you know the podcast sphere and uh, the news media etc people are talking about morality of course you've got two major viewpoints one would be basically anything goes which is really postmodernism. and mm-hmm. i think my second podcast episode i ever did on this podcast was about postmodernism. so go back and check that out if you want to the listener but anyways that's basically one philosophy right now and then the other of course is traditional morals um, led predominantly thankfully by christians but You've got even even others who don't claim to be Christians, but they still cling to, uh, quote unquote, traditional morals. And you've got these two conflicting ideologies. And, uh, you know, there's kind of like a, you know, it's been described as culture wars. So I guess getting into that, Avery, what do you think's contributing to these culture wars uh, regarding morality?
1: Well, uh, first, I want to say you hit the nail on the head when you said postmodernism. And it's actually funny because i am uh, we did not plan this at all, but I'm actually starting a class tonight um, with a, the adults here at Arnold, um, and, and it's entitled Modern Doctrines, but really it's about Christian ethics and morality. And the very first class we're talking about tonight just so happens to be postmodernism, um, because I think you can break down every subcategory of morality, whether it's Uh, existentialism or relativism or humanism, everything falls under the guise of postmodernism. And it's this idea that we're really arguing about subjective versus objective. That's the whole argument. Every one of these doctrines, every one of these ideologies falls under whether or not you believe that there are objective morals. Um, And that's what, and really all of our social issues a lot of them, if not all of them, boil down to that very fact. Um, I mean, when we talk about different social issues, with uh, you know what our country's experiencing on the realm of sexuality, and uh, you know, one one side says that you can or cannot be a, a an a, you know one thing. Um, that's just postmodernism. That's all it is. Yeah. And and I've I've the best description I've heard of postmodernism in the scope of the Bible is the the scene at Babel. So in Babel, you have this group of people that come together and they say, we are going to build a tower to God. And that would be labeled as modernism. So modernism is we don't need God. We have science. We have community. We we can figure it out on our own. And then you have the, the scrambling of the languages. That was postmodernism. When everybody says, okay, well, now we're not going to do it as a community. We're not going to do it as a society. How about we all just choose our own morals? And really, it's, it's old. It is an old, old doctrine. I mean, it goes back to Genesis. I mean, all Satan had to say to Eve was, you won't surely die. And what's implied in that idea of you won't surely die? Um, you know better. You can figure it out on your own. You know, um, but I go back to those words of Jeremiah. It is not in man. Uh, you know, you you can't expect to figure it out on your own. Um, and so really, when we talk about this idea of, of morality, I think it just boils down to subjective versus objective, uh, you know, under the, the label of postmodernism, if you want to call it that. But all of these moral issues just boil down to do you believe that there is a higher standard?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, we use the term and kind of the description, you know, morality, you know, it's black and white. And uh, there's a lot of things that are absolutely black and white, uh, right and wrong issues. Now, that's not to say that there are some areas uh, of opinion. You know, there, there are some areas of opinion and we have to use discernment to know, hey, is this right or wrong in this given situation? But there are so many things that are for sure black and white, right and wrong. And there's we live in a world today that wants to say, no, there's nothing black and white. There's nothing right uh, for sure and wrong for sure. And uh, you can do whatever you want. You know, you mentioned uh, from Jeremiah, it's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And, uh, you know, it also says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And how many times do we... Here, You know, in the Disney movies and and, and the TV shows for young people, etc., just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Well, when you really think about it, following your heart um, <laughs> can get man in a lot of trouble unless man's heart is properly trained by God's Word. And, uh, you know, we have to hide God's Word in our hearts so that we might not sin against God, Psalm 9- 119, verse 11. So, You know, there are a lot of contributing factors. Postmodernism's definitely, in my opinion, the overarching um, contributing factor, you know, the overarching umbrella, if you will. And then underneath it, you've got lots of other stuff. But uh, we could talk about the entertainment media. Uh, We could talk about, you know, peer pressure with kids and and who they're around and and trying to get them to do things that they know they shouldn't do, etc. But the bottom line is... There is objective right, and there is objective wrong. And uh, we live in a society that denies that simple fact. Uh, we, have, we live in a, de- a society that has uh, denied the word of God. And uh, you, you mentioned modernism. You know, in the 17 and 1800s, the modernists, they basically dismantled uh, in their mind the word of God. They didn't believe in mm-hmm. the inspiration of Scripture anymore. Postmodernism was the only logical uh coming after that you know postmodernism and now some people are starting to argue that we're even uh, <laughs> post postmodernism at this point which is yeah. another discussion for another day but long story short it's all gone downhill right
1: right and i, I want to mention two things uh, I, I jumped ahead and i really opened up that uh postmodernism discussion and it is a big discussion but uh, i don't want to jump too far ahead because you had asked kind of about how emboldened, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but how emboldened morality or immorality we should say has become in our culture. Um, And again, I think you, you said it perfectly when you said people try to decide with their own hearts, right? Uh, They try to, you know, dictate their own morals based on what they feel. Matthew 15 Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. I mean, should we say more just because I feel something, just because I uh, am inclined to do a certain thing does not make it moral. Um, And going back to the example we had in Jeremiah, we looked at Jeremiah 10, 23, but also you got to keep in mind Jeremiah 6, 15. Uh, Because this is not the first time this has happened. I I truly believe as I get older that everything in life is almost cyclical. Um, It it just kind of goes in a big circle. And in Jeremiah's day, in Jeremiah 615, they could not blush. Could they blush when they committed abomination? They could not blush. Um, And I I feel like we are in that, you know, swing of the pendulum, if you will. Um, Not to say that... We should live in doom and gloom and this is the end of society. And you know, there is still hope that that we self-correct. Um, and we surely need to do that. Um, yeah, I think we're seeing even some
0: signs of that. Oh, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm I'm excited to talk about that. Um, because again, there comes a point where it gets so grotesquely immoral that eventually somebody comes along and says, what are we doing? You know, this is ignorant. Right. Um, And in the, if you go back to judges, that's exactly what happened. You know, we have that cycle of sin, oppression, cry, deliverance, sin, oppression, cry, deliverance. Um, You know, these people would sin and then they would feel the uh, consequences of that sin. And then they would cry out to God and God would send a judge and the judge would come in there and say, Hey, what are you guys doing? You gotta, you gotta live for God. And so they do it for a little bit. And then, you know, the cycle would just keep repeating. And I think that cycle has continued to repeat, you know, maybe at a larger timeline, but uh, through the ages, you know. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, History definitely repeats itself. Um, Yeah. You kind of mentioned how basically we're as a society openly uh, accepting immorality now. You know, there's (laughs) always been immorality, but it was always kind of, you know, under the table, hidden. You know, it it wasn't in plain sight like it is now. Uh, But, you know, like you also mentioned. It is the case that some, you know, and whatever the percentage, whatever the minority is, but there are some people who are starting to make a stand. Um, you've mm-hmm. got parents going to school boards and say, saying, hey, enough of this. We're not going to put up with this and you keep it up. We're going to vote you out and we're going to replace you in the school board and things like that. That's mm-hmm. great. And that's a sign that a lot of people are waking up. Uh, me personally, I hope it's not too late <laughs> and I don't <laughs> think it is. But but you kind of wonder that sometimes sometimes. But kind of going into my next point was the open immorality that we're seeing now. Uh, People are just in your face Mm -hmm. uh, about the immorality now, especially in the last decade or two. So I guess, would you agree with that? And maybe we can list some examples of of how immorality is so open now.
1: Right. And I totally agree with it. The question is, why? Um, Why are they so? I would call it militant. I think that is a very uh, just word for it. Uh, Why is this militant immorality um, so prevalent? And I go back to a comment. One one of my, uh, I would call him one of my mentors in in the realm of preaching and, uh, you know, really helped me out as I was coming up and starting to preach. He said, when you are preaching truth, you are going to upset everyone living in sin and error. And so as a result of that, they don't want to see you living righteously. Um, They want to force you to see what they are doing long enough and loud enough to where it becomes, quote, the norm, because that eases the conscious. Yep. Um, You know, if they say it long enough and loud enough, what do we always say? The squeaky wheel gets the oil. And society will bend to their, you know, every demand over time. And what that all boils down to is they want to feel like you're not judging them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, it's, and, and Yeah, exactly. And, and it's not that we are um, rude to people living in, you know, immorality. We try to teach those people, but there's a part of the human conscious that still is held accountable. Um, and, and I feel like that weighs on people over time. To where they just, you know, it's kind of the uh, the same thing with John the Baptizer. You know, he lost his head over, over speaking the truth, right? Right. Um, sometimes that's what it comes down to as far as us socially is losing our standings with these people. Um, but we need to make it very clear that we are not going to bow down. Doesn't matter how long you talk about it or how loud you talk about it. We will always stand on the bedrock of truth, which is immorality is wrong in the sight of God to sin, to miss the mark. It is wrong. Right. Um, and we can't back down on that, you know, on any of these topics. And, there, and there's a, you know, a ton of examples we could go through as far as the uh, social uh, decline in immorality. But all of these topics fall under the same, uh, you know, banner of truth that we cannot bow down. We cannot.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think about some of those Old Testament stories and, you know, actual historical events from the Old Old Testament that we learn when we're young, you know, in the VBS and in the Bible class curriculum and things like that. And I think back to, you know, David facing Goliath and how many Davids do we really have today who are willing to face the the Goliath of open immorality, you know, Mm -hmm. and also think of like the book of Daniel. Daniel, when he was told, no, you know, you don't pray to God, you pray to, uh, to the image or whatever, he opened his window like he always had and three times a day prayed toward Jerusalem to God. And he said, no, I'm not going to, uh, bow down to this. I'm not going to capitulate. And, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, mm-hmm. I prefer their, their Hebrew names, but, but, you know, we know who they are and, uh, they, refused to bow down and and they you know they acknowledged in Daniel that whatever the case may be they said hey we know that god has the power to deliver us from the situation but even if he chooses not to for whatever reason we will not bow down to this image and i think it's truly amazing that we read of people who had tremendous faith like that but then we have to ask the question okay are we learning from those examples ourselves are we standing up to the the, uh, you know, the, the golden images of our day, which is, you know, open immorality and the trans transgender uh, agendas and things like this? You know, the divorce rate is still hovering somewhere around 45 to 50 percent in our country. Um, John the Baptist, like you mentioned, he lost his head over that issue. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done an episode with uh, another podcast in our network before on, on this subject. Go, go uh, check that out. Uh, I'll try to remember to put the link in the description, but also just go read Matthew chapter 19. It's very clear, um, it is black and white. It's not hard to understand. Um, you know, prayer and, and Bible as well, taking, being taken out of the school systems, um, music, movies, TV shows, et cetera just out of control as far as the immorality that's being propagated through this. Now uh, the evolutionary and atheistic thought processes that are so pushed today, the agendas, uh, major, major problems. But I think the biggest uh, elephant in the room right now is definitely the LGBTQ plus stuff. And they have to keep adding letters because they just, <laughs> it's, <unending. right. laughs> um, it's just gotten out of control and we're going to speak out against it on this podcast. And if they shut us down, they shut us down, but we've got to speak the truth. We do so in love Ephesians four verse 15, but uh, truth does not exclude love and love does not exclude truth. They're not mutually exclusive. We have to stand for both. And, uh, we're living in a society that truth is under attack. And, uh, not only that, but you, you look at the people that are involved in all this different stuff and they're absolutely miserable. They're not gaining any happiness from this. And sometimes they will try to say, well, it's because you're persecuting us. No, it's not because we're persecuting you, um, which we're not, by the way. That's a that's a accusation. Sure. But they're unhappy because they're searching for happiness in all the wrong places. And I reference the book of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books in the Bible, because mm-hmm. it really it sums up the the message of the entire Bible. And Solomon looked for happiness in all the wrong places, but he couldn't find it. He was downright miserable. And some of the things that you read about in the book of Ecclesiastes, you're like, wow, this is pretty pessimistic sounding. But you have to remember he was looking at life from the perspective of. I can't find happiness in all this sinful stuff. Uh, Let me hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let me give the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. This is this is the whole of man. We need to be preaching that message today and telling people, hey, there is a better way. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. You can find true happiness, true joy in that. You're not going to find it in all these sinful pursuits.
1: Right. <clears throat> and and I mean, Ecclesiastes does a, a wonderful job at illustrating that. You know, I, I said of of money and I've said of property and I said of all these things, laughter, and he even mentions wine there. I said of He tried to search for happiness in, like you said, all the wrong places. Um, But then I want to go back to the idea of, you know, the last part of Ecclesiastes, you know, the whole duty of man to serve God and keep his commandments. Why? Why is why is it so important to be morally upright? Um, And I want to go if you if you would allow me a little bit of uh, time here, I want to go to First Kings chapter twenty one. I want to talk about the value of your soul and the value of your morals, Um, because we think of it it, and and society has done a real good job at making us feel bad about being moral, which is the absolute opposite way that it's supposed to be. But that's what they've almost tried to do. And they're doing it to our young people. You know, I work with a lot of kids here at Arnold. Um, The guilt trip, if you would call it that, you know, if you want to call it that the guilt trip of immorality. is. It is shocking, um, but we see this in First Kings chapter 21. Naboth had a vineyard, and in verse number two, it says, and after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's near my house, and I'll give you a better vineyard for it, uh, or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its value and money. So he was willing to exchange a better vineyard or it's value in money. But watch Naboth's response? Naboth said, to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. It was not in Naboth's um, wheelhouse, if you want to use the loose term. It was not his to give. This was part of an inheritance. This is not okay for Naboth to give away or sell this property. And Ahab went into his house uh, vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. Fast forward. Naboth stands his ground, Naboth does not budge, and we understand that uh, Jezebel, you know, Ahab's wife, goes and talks to her husband and essentially says, well, why are you so upset? And he says, well, Naboth wouldn't give me the vineyard, Naboth wouldn't budge, Um, and so she has Naboth killed. Uh, But then we see the highlight of the end of this chapter, starting verse number 17, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, arise and go meet Ahab, king of Israel who is in Samaria, behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth. Keep in mind, it's still called Naboth. It's not called Ahab's vineyard, uh, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus saith the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. Now I want you to look at the end of uh, this text here. In verse number 25, it says it all. And this is where we are in verse 25. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Sold his self. Yep. Okay. We have two opposites in 1 Kings 21. You have a man standing up for what's right. I'm not going to sell this vineyard. It's not mine to sell. Um, no. No. Even if I will get a better price for it or its value and money, I'm not willing to sell. And then you have the opposite end of that, the pressure, and then finally the, you know, overpowering of Naboth. And it says Ahab was a sellout. Yep. So when we talk about morals in our, you know, modern day society, I want to encourage my brothers and sisters to think of it like a business transaction. Okay, you... Forfeit your morals. You allow these things to enter your home, you know, whatever it may be. At what cost? Because you're paying something for it. Now you're getting something in exchange for it. You might get some worldly friends. You might get, as we say in the Naboth story, you might get its value in money. You might get its You know, you might get a better position at work if you're willing to bend on different morals. At what cost? Yeah. And and the 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 most important thing we need to take away from this story and apply it to our lives is eventually it's going to end. Eventually this ride no matter how happy you are playing in that vineyard, how happy you are now that you got your way and you you know there has you know it has consequences. And I love how Elijah just puts it like that and just says well God through Elijah in the very spot where you took the life of Naboth, the dogs are going to lick up your own blood. And I mean, I think that's how we need to look at morality. If I'm willing to forfeit and give up moral ground and allow the world to enter my home and to influence my children and influence my spouse and and dictate my life, there's going to come a time where we are going to fall And we are going to fall in the exact spot where our mortals fell when we were willing to sell out. And I think that's just such a powerful story. Um, Sorry. I I hope it didn't throw it off topic, but I just think this this whole chapter, I mean, really just study this whole chapter. It it is. It's a narrative on morality is what it is. It's not about a vineyard. It's a narrative on morality and it is immediately uh, needed. This, this whole chapter is needed in our day and time. I mean, I'm glad
0: you mentioned that, and I got a sermon idea from that, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, exactly right. Um, you know, we have an expression for it: sell your soul to the devil. And how many people do that? Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus said, uh, "What shall a man give in exchange for his soul?" I've preached sermons before on the idea of your most valuable possession and kind of MVP, but your most valuable possession would be your soul how many people are selling their souls for whatever reason for a little bit of passing pleasure And you think about hebrews chapter 11 uh noah is i mean uh, moses is mentioned in there and it says that he was willing to give up the passing pleasures of Mm -hmm. sin for a season because he rather stood with the people of god and uh, we need to do the same thing as well right we're going to go ahead and uh Finish this week's episode, and then next week, Lord willing, Avery will be back with us, and we're going to go look at some things in Romans chapter 1 that uh, definitely deal with more of the same as far as you know where we are as a society and uh, how we can hopefully reclaim uh, the collective morality of our nation. So tune in next week to the Everyday Christian podcast, and uh, we will talk about that.